Welcome again to the Stock of the Town podcast. This is John and Karen Pendleton with Pendleton's Country Market. We live in the Kansas River Valley, just outside of Lawrence, Kansas. We've been farming together for over 40 years, and we want to share with you about our farm and our community. And in this episode of our podcast, we're going to be talking about how to prepare your garden for fall and winter. Here in Northeast Kansas, we have already had three frosts. I should say here on our farm, we have had three frosts because I talk to people in town and they're surprised that we've had a frost at all. We're in the lowest part of the Caw Valley, it seems like, just east of Lawrence, Kansas. And it tends to get a little bit colder out here, a little bit windier than what it does in town. The town has a heat sink with all the buildings and all the concrete. And and yeah, we've had uh, frost that has pretty much taken care of the cherry tomatoes, the green beans, and a few other things that we had still lingering in the in the garden. I had three or four pots of coleus sitting out on the front porch of our market. Two of them were underneath the porch roof and two of them were outside the the porch roof and the two outside were completely burned down and the ones that were underneath the, the roof were still looking fine. I've always been confused as to how frost happens. You have shade trees or if you're under a shade tree you're under a a structure if there's a little bit of wind it depends on the humidity there's a lot of different factors coming into play when it comes to frost and you can actually have frost much higher than 32 degrees but uh, we've been in the low 30s like you said karen for uh, three nights now in the last week and a half and and it's pretty much putting things uh, into the winter type late fall season. And so we are currently in the process of getting our gardens ready to put to bed, I guess you'd say, for for the winter. And one of the first things we're going to do before calling it quits for the year is to go ahead and harvest all the produce that is still out in the field. Two weeks ago, we had our first frost and we covered green beans, tomatoes, and peppers, knowing that it was going to frost. And we did really well, and we were able to harvest those for a few more days until we had our second frost, and we didn't realize it was coming, and we lost those plants then. But now we can still harvest our sweet potatoes. They have taken us a frost on the top, but uh, we are now actually today completing our sweet potato harvest. Since they were underground, they were perfectly fine, but we want to get those out of the ground before it gets any colder. Besides the vegetables, we have certain flowers that grow from bulbs that cannot take a hard freeze. So tuberoses, gladiolas, dahlias, dahlias that are out in the field. We do have dahlias in the hoop house, and so we've got plenty of time to get them dug up later. But with the colder weather coming that will freeze the ground, we need to get them out of the ground and cleaned up, boxed up. We actually keep them underneath our house in a crawl space. And so that's one of those efforts that we take and try and get uh, help of younger people that are a little bit more limber than I am to crawl down underneath the house and and then they stack up the boxes and leave them there all winter long. And that is one of the most often asked questions that I get is, well, how do you keep them through the winter? Not everybody has a crawl space under their house. What would you suggest? Well, you go out to the uh, old root cellar. (laughs) There's a lot of farms 
years ago that had root cellars, but very, very few uh, homes have root cellars anymore. But that was designed to to be a structure underground with usually a dirt floor, and it was not a heated part of the basement that people kept canned items and onions and peppers and sweet potatoes and all sorts of different things as long into the winter as they could. But an unheated garage wouldn't be bad unless it actually froze. You want it in an area that doesn't freeze. So, you know, we use what we have, what's available. And that's a crawl space of the house. If you use a garage, if it's attached to the house, you're gonna wanna place your plants as close to the house as possible, I'm guessing. Right, yeah. Away from the garage door that was gonna be the coldest part. And if you want to really ensure that things are okay, you could actually put some type of a an electric or a, a furnace, gas furnace possibly in the garage and have it on a thermostat that would only turn on if it got really, really cold and, and things were going to freeze, keep things from freezing inside the garage that way. Or just pay attention to how cold it is outside and figure, is it going to freeze tonight inside? You right. Know? There's the, the expensive way of doing it, and then there's the... The farmer way. The farmer yeah. way, which <laughs> we tend to do. But we fill up a lot of boxes with bulbs uh, that we'll be saving for next spring, getting them out and planting them again. You want to clean out your beds, your flower beds. I really like to clean out my annual flower beds, kind of get the debris out of there. It prevents a lot of bugs from living in the debris of the old plants. Removing all the plant debris helps prevent pests and diseases from overwintering in your garden where you had those plants planted. You also want to take out all the plant stakes, you know, the labels and other accessories that we tend to put in our gardens. You want to get that out of there so that, you know, they're not in the way and sometimes they get lost or will decompose even a little bit during the winter. You talk about doing this in the garden. I have to think in terms of doing that in the field too. So where we have annual plants and where we have perennial plants in the field, we treat it completely different. That's right. On our annual plants, we will take the plants out and really clean it up a lot more than the perennial plants. And then also this time of year, after we clean up a bed, now is the time to put compost on or is the spring better? Well, I think that if you can get it done now, you never know what the weather is going to be. One of the things I like to do is go ahead and actually prepare beds for spring right now. And that way it can go through a freezing and thawing process and be all set and ready to go. And, and for me to prepare a bed, we're actually fortunate enough to have enough ground available that we have permanent beds with permanent driveways out in the field. And after we harvest a, a crop, then I go ahead and clean that row up maybe um, till it a little bit to get rid of any uh, of the late fall weeds and get the ground ready. If I have time and the ground's in good enough shape, which it's dry right now, I like to use a bed shaper and it actually raises up a ridge that is several inches higher than the rest of the soil around it have it just perfectly clean and so it will dry out quicker if it does get wet in the late winter or early spring. We can go ahead and hit it with a tiller, hit it with a hiller and plant potatoes right away. And uh, if the ground's wet, 
than if you're trying to make ridges to plant potatoes on, then you have to wait till the ground dries out. But if I have those permanent beds already made, we're ready to go to plant the early stuff. The onions early, the, um, the potatoes in mid-March certainly. So you're doing your beds in the fall, which some people disagree that you should turn the soil at all in the fall. But you like to do it so that you're ahead in the spring. So people could, if they're wanting to do some things this fall to get ready for next spring, they could be now building those planter boxes, raised bed boxes that they're going to be, and filling them with soil now. And oh, absolutely. they'd be much farther ahead in the spring. And if the soil is a little bit compacted, you go through the freezing and thawing process in the wintertime, and that helps to really loosen up the soil. I don't think it hurts at all to put down any type of mulch, any type of compost. Compost in the fall would be really fantastic. That would help with uh, uh, making the soil very mellow in the springtime. Last year, I actually, for the first time, purchased a semi-load of uh, chicken manure. I uh, was able to uh, go in on an order that Scott Thelman from Juniper Hills, north of Lawrence, he had an extra semi-load ordered and that he didn't need, and, and so I was able to buy it from him. I used a manure spreader to put that chicken manure right on top of the row and then used my bed shaper to go ahead and form the bed. And I really, really liked that because it, it had the bed ready to go. We had good organic matter in the center of the mound. And when it was time to plant in the spring, that dirt was in great shape. Of course, I have to admit, we are lucky to be in the Kansas River Valley where we are a little bit more forgiving. The, the soil is more forgiving here than a heavy clay soil would be. But any time you have good soil or bad soil, adding organic matter is not a bad thing to do. And I think the city compost has finished with their program for the year. But we are also fortunate that here in Lawrence, our city has a compost program where people can bring in their leaves and grass clippings throughout the year, and they make a wonderful compost. I think their first year they had a, a little bit of a problem that it wasn't tested enough, and some people had problems in their gardens with it. But for the last 10 years at least, it's, it's uh, pure gold coming out of there and great for the gardens. So if you can get it on in the fall, fantastic, but they'll also be doing it in the spring, I believe. Sure, you bet. If you have a friend that has an old manure pile from birds or cattle or hogs or sheep, that's what grandma and grandpa used to always use, and it's still actually a pretty good material to put on the garden. Okay, so we've got that on there. What if you're a container gardener? Can you just leave those containers? I mean, you can scrape off the, the top plants once they're dead, but I'm tired, they're heavy, can I just leave them out there? Well, it's okay <laughs> if uh, you don't mind having to buy a new, very expensive ceramic pot again, because what happens is you get rain, you get snow, it might freeze at the bottom, it might thaw at the top, you get a little bit more rain, and then it'll freeze again, and lo and behold, you're ceramic pot will just kind of get a great big gigantic crack in it and, and explode. So the best thing to do is just go ahead and turn it upside down. You could leave it there if you needed to. You don't have to actually completely empty it out, but or empty it out, put it inside the garage, inside the, the potting shed or, or some protected area. Also this time of year, once the plants have gone dormant or have 
gone through a frost, now's the best time to be collecting seeds from any of those. So if you want to get into the seed collecting, now's the time to do that. You and I don't do much of that because the accounting process of keeping track of seeds for the amount of plants that we have would be just uh, a little bit overwhelming. But uh, some people enjoy keeping seeds back. We like to go ahead and purchase seeds every year from seed companies that we've had good luck with so that we know that if we're buying a hybrid seed or an heirloom seed, we've got our best chance that it's going to be true to what the variety is that we're going for. Yeah, I think saving seeds is a fun thing to do, but uh, when we sell our plants, we have to be sure of what we're selling. We have a hard enough time getting everything labeled right. If we start out with seeds that we know what they are, we're halfway to the point of having plants that we know what they are. <laughs> I heard a lot about problems with peppers this year, that there were people that were buying plants from garden centers that were labeled one thing and they ended up being and something I think, else. I think that was a national problem, if not international problem, that a lot of jalapeno peppers ended up being Anaheim's. There was a switch up somewhere along the seed line uh, from all the, the big seed growers and there was some mix up. So I hope the listeners weren't a part of that, but I, I heard it from numerous people that they've got the wrong peppers from what they thought they bought. If you really have a plant and you're wanting to keep it going, you want that plant for next spring, you can always snip some tips off of it and take cuttings and grow them indoors. This is easy to do with coleus, geraniums, and sweet potatoes, uh, the sweet potato vines. And you just stick them in a, a little vase of water and they'll put on roots and then you can plant them again next spring. Do you ever use rooting hormone? I do use rooting hormone and I actually prefer that over the water because the roots that the plant develops in soil are different than the roots they put out in water. And so I always like to use the rooting hormone and put them directly in dirt. Then I don't have to make them learn how to take up water once they're moved from water to the soil, if that makes any sense at all. Makes good sense to me. <laughs> when you take cuttings, you want to take cuttings from the tip of the plant while it's still green. If it's woody, it won't do as well, so you want a green tip. We do that with tomatoes in the spring. If we get the tomatoes that we really like and we need to... To get a few more, we'll take the suckers off the sides and, and just root those in some soil, and, and they take off just as well as those from seed. So you could take cuttings now if you're wanting to keep some of those plants through the winter. The perennial garden I treat a little bit different than the annual garden because I don't really usually cut my perennials back probably as far. Well, I don't cut them back as far as I would my annuals. The annuals I'm going to be taking out completely, making the ground more clean, or the perennials, the plant is going to stay there throughout the winter. And I don't like to cut them back right before frost or right at, at freezing time because some, that's pretty hard on some plants. I know mums and lavender are ones that I really stress to people, don't cut them back at all. Because if you cut them back in the winter time, they're more susceptible to crown rot that can get into the plant if there's too much moisture and they really need that protection of the whole plant. And it adds interest in the garden. It can collect snow and it looks like little balls out there. And, and it's just, it's something kind of to look at in the winter time. 
one of the things that I appreciate is the fact that you don't ask me to go out and rake the leaves out of the uh, perennial flower beds around the house. And you have said they serve a purpose. That's right. They're, they're going to help protect. That's part of the mulching that I'm going to be doing. And now would be a good time to mulch your perennial gardens with chopped up leaves or any sort of mulch that you have. But yes, I, I don't do much to my perennial gardens. And I have found that to be a good thing. And then you turn around and hit them pretty hard in the springtime to get them ready right before they start breaking dormancy very much. Right. Talking about perennials, now is the time to be planting your fall bulbs. We call them fall bulbs because we plant them in the fall, but they actually bloom in the spring. So your tulips and daffodils, those can be planted now. I've planted daffodils as late as the first of March and they have bloomed just fine. So if you can get them in before the ground freezes now is best, or any time that the ground thaws out enough during the winter. Tulips are a little less forgiving. They want to be planted now, but daffodils I think you can plant about any time, and they will naturalize and become a part of your perennial garden for a long time. Did I see a sack of iris bulbs that you got from a neighbor? I did. I need to get them planted. <laughs> I'm trying to decide where they're going to go, and it's starting to get a little cold, so I need to get those in the ground and get them mulched in really good. But you can do that real quick if you wanted to. Yeah. And what I do on iris, I just cut them back about halfway and leave a little flag up. And uh, iris and daylilies, they're the plants that they're the most forgiving. If you haven't had a perennial garden in the past and you want to start one, Daylilies and iris will grow anywhere, I think. And you can dig them and transplant them just about any time? Dig them, transplant them, share them, push them off on your neighbors. That's good. <laughs> and we have been, in our area, have been exceedingly dry. We're in a drought condition. Gosh, Kansas City got rain twice this week, and we didn't get It wasn't much, but it was more than what we got. It's just been really, really dry. So it's important to water during the wintertime because these uh, plants all have roots that would uh, like to have moisture throughout the wintertime. You don't want to overwater them because they can get rot going in them that way. But uh, if it's going to stay this dry, we're going to have to do some watering this winter. We particularly are keeping an eye on the young trees that are planted around our house that uh, we replanted after the tornado. And so we've got some, some perennial bushes and some young trees that we kind of make sure that we get them some moisture and get them watered good and deep, then make sure that they don't stay wet, but just water them good and deep one time and then wait. And then if it rains, then you're in good shape. And at some point we will get some snow. I think we should also take some time this week and put some mulch around those. We have some trees that need shaping and pruning. And I want to remind everybody, you want to do that after they've gone dormant or at least after the, their leaves have fallen. That's for deciduous trees anyway. Because if you cut their limbs back in August, it's still warm enough. They think it's time to grow and they're going to regrow very young sprouts and they're not going to be able to survive as well during the winter time. I've got some trees that I have questions about and so I'm going to try and find an arborist friend to try and figure <laughs> out 
exactly when the best time to uh, try and encourage one of the branches to be the main leader and to knock back the ones that I don't want to compete. But it is the best time while it is dormant, but I'm trying to figure out, all right, early dormancy or right before it breaks dormancy in the spring. So I'm going to try and fine tune that for our own trees because I actually don't know specifically. And maybe it's different for for different types of trees. And trees and shrubs are not our specialty, we, no. we admit. Uh, we do grow a lot of uh, lilacs, which I know we don't want to cut back lilacs in the fall because they bloom on old wood. So they're going to bloom on the wood that grew this year. And if we cut it back now, we'd be cutting off all the blooms for next spring. So do you use the lilacs for decoration around the house? Or do you use them in flower arrangements? Oh, I use them in flower arrangements. You know, I don't ever bring flowers into the house. We don't really live in the house very often. We uh, we work outside in the barn, and, and most of the flowers that we grow are for other people. And the perennials that are around the house, a lot of times they are dual purpose. They do landscape the garden, but they're also something that you can harvest on to put in gorgeous bouquets. As the growing season winds down, don't forget to prep your garden tools. And I think this is one of the hardest things for us to do because once the season is done, we like to move inside and that's when we do all of our book work and kind of get caught up. We've got the seed catalogs out. We're getting ready for the next spring. But working on tools seems to be something we like to neglect. It's a good time to sharpen hose and clean up the the shovels, maybe oil them, oil the, the wooden handles, that sort of thing. There, There's a lot of things that I could be doing. One of the um, biggest jobs we have at our farm is collecting up all the garden hose. We do a lot of irrigation running through lots and lots of linear feet of garden hose and then it goes into drip irrigation lines. But uh, you don't want to leave that garden hose out there all winter because the sunshine's going to break down the plastic or the rubber in the hose. But the worst thing is if you leave it there and you're going in and aggressively mowing and cleaning up, oh, the worst thing in the world is to have a lawnmower hit a hose and then you have to repair the hose and sometimes unwind all that hose from out of the blades of the, of the uh, lawnmower. Speaking from experience, are we? I think we are speaking from experience, yeah. <laughs> the garden hose, you want to drain all the water out of the garden hose because it's amazing how much water can be in there and when it freezes and thaws, then that's hard on the garden hose as well. You can split a garden hose and, and keep track of uh, the hydrants. And we actually have a water softener in the barn to produce soft water. But we have no heat in the barn. We have no heat in the barn. So very, very soon, I'm going to have to remove all that equipment and put it inside a greenhouse that doesn't freeze, we hope, and put that away for the year. So when some people grow lettuce in the winter, that's great. You can do that. But I kind of need a break. I'd just soon not have to be producing all winter. But even more, I don't want to have to bring that lettuce inside the house and wash pounds and pounds of lettuce inside the, the house kitchen. It's better done out in the wash station out in the barn. So how do you prepare small engines? Winterizing 
small engines are very important, whether it be a weed eater or the lawnmower. What you want to do is drain all the gasoline out so that it does not become stale. Or you want to put a fuel stabilizer in it so that the fuel doesn't go bad again so that the next time you use that machine it's going to run nice and smooth. Certainly winterizing those engines are a good thing where you can change the spark plug, change the oil, and if you've got the opportunity to drain the gas that's that's a good thing too. But uh, make sure that everything's put away for the year and and it's ready to go because come springtime you're anxious for it to work and it needs to work when you want it to, instead of having to take it into a repairman to get it fixed. And the small engine repairmen are busy in the spring. They are. And they can they can be months behind sometimes, I've found. So we want those everything to be able to work when we're ready to get going in the spring. Sprayers, you got to clean out all the sprayers. Oh, goodness, yes. If, again, if there's something that has water in it, it could freeze. There is an antifreeze that is developed for RVs to be winterized. That is actually a pretty good antifreeze to put inside backpack sprayers or small sprayers that you might be keeping in the barn or in a shed. And that keeps the water from freezing. And you don't have the danger of car type antifreeze being in there and some of the pets or the animals getting into it because it seems as if some of the uh, antifreeze that are used in cars have a little bit of a sweet flavor to it and if an animal drank some of that antifreeze it can be kind of uh, not so good on the, on the critter but the RV antifreeze does a much better job with a product that's a little bit safer. Well I guess we have a lot of work ahead of us before we call an end to this year so I guess maybe we better get started on that. But it's a fun time. We then get to go to conferences and spend time with family at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, and then all of a sudden you're in the greenhouse again in the spring. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. You can donate to the Stock of the Town and help us to continue to be advertiser-free and to produce a higher-quality podcast each week. Just click on the support the show link on wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, thank you for supporting the stock of the town as we talk about our farm and our community.